0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing this morning? It's Memorial Day weekend, and this is the crowd who is still at church, which means you guys are the super spiritual group of the church, the best. Cr- I'm just kidding. We're in Romans. You're all sinners. Um, <laughs> I love this series. This series has been so good. Hey, quick, uh, we're going to be in Romans 6 today. I want you to imagine for a second... That someone gave you a hundred acres of land. Just beautiful, awesome, incredible land. But also, there is a hundred foot fence square inside of it, and that's where you are. And you can have to go past the fence to see what else is out there, to see, and, and past that fence is more beauty. Uh, more freedom, more purpose, more beautiful things, but you decide that I'm just going to stay inside this 100-foot square. This is what we're going to be talking about today, that there is in our lives a way for us, uh, for many of us, that we need to push past some fences in our lives so that we can see even more that God has for us. Now, before we jump into Romans 6, I want to do a little recap on Romans 5, because all of these chapters work um, together, and so Romans 5, the way it ends, leads right in to Romans 6. And so here's how Romans 5 ended, if you remember. We see that just as one trespass by Adam resulted in the condemnation of all people, so all one righteous act resulted in the justification for all people. That was by Jesus. Then he comes back and he's going to say, hey, the point of the law Um, He's going to come back to the point of law, and he's going to make the point that the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. However, but as sin increased, grace increased all the more. And then we're going to go right into verse 1. Here's what he's going to say. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no Means and so right off the bat, Paul is asking this question. It's this. In fact, he asked this question in Romans three, if you um, remember, and it's this question of, "Hey, if if more sin equals more grace, and grace is good, then shouldn't we sin more so that we can get more grace?" And Paul's going to be really clear: absolutely not. By no means should that be our heart, because when we When God changes our hearts, our hearts should change towards sin as well. And and even though we still have sin in our lives, we should hate sin. Um, Our flesh loves it, but our hearts should hate sin. We're going to keep on going. It says, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. His, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I wore my I Have Decided shirt this morning. This is the shirt that um, when we have baptism, that everybody gets one when they get baptized um, at our church, and, and I'm wearing that because this is part of our. You can see we're talking about baptism here, and also there's gonna be a lot for us to decide today as well that we'll get to later. But what we see here in this first passage of Scripture is these natural steps as a believer, right? The first step is you give your life to Jesus, right? That He saves you. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you're saved. And this is by grace, it is through faith, and not by works. Nothing that we do, right? But then the first step of obedience is to get baptized, and this is symbolic of our faith that we are now saved, right? It's this, hey, I once was dead in my sin just like Christ, and now I am raised to walk in this new life, this resurrected, just as Jesus was resurrected, we are being resurrected with a new heart, So when you're baptized into his death, just as Christ was raised from the dead, defeating sin and death. So this is the symbolism of the washing away of our sins. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, what does that mean? Because if we're not careful here, this can very quickly feel like as a believer, I should no longer have sin in my life as a believer, I should no longer struggle with sin. And, and we know that's not true, but have you ever been in, in churches where all the testimonies sound like this, man, I really struggled before I knew Jesus, but then I met Jesus and it just went away. <laughs> and that's what like all the testimony, you, you hear these, and, and, and those are awesome. And I do believe God can do that, right? I believe he can, boom, and, and it's awesome. But I also know that, man, for me, like sitting out, hearing that, I'm going, all right, well, I'm, I'm a believer. I still struggle, though. I still have sin. Am I a Christian? Am I even a Christian then? And then what happens is people go, okay, well, if everyone else is having this experience where they give their life to Jesus and then they're no longer struggling with sin and I'm still struggling, well, I've got to hide that sin. I can't, I can't bring that out. I can't let people know that I'm struggling because everyone else is having a different experience. What are they going to think about me? But that's not what that verse is talking about. It can't be what it means. What it actually means is that Jesus has covered my sins, so now sin has no power over me. It doesn't get to dictate anything in my life because Jesus has covered it. Here's your first point today. Jesus has covered your past, present, and future sins. Those future sins are key. (laughs) Jesus has covered your past, present, and future sins. Verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So right here in this little passage, we're talking about Christ. He died, he cannot die again, he already defeated it. Um, He came back, he died for sin once and for all. He had the glorified body and ascended into heaven. And then in the next verse, it's going to shift to us and talk about us. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you were not under the law, but under grace. And so we discuss sin doesn't just go away when we become believers, but our heart changes toward In fact, I think one of the indicators of, you know, people, I did student ministry for a long time, and there would constantly be questions of like, oh man, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was a kid, but was it real? Or, you know, whatever, I mean, I gave my life to Christ at camp, but was that like a real thing? Because I still struggle and I still have all these things um, going on in my life, but, but I think what, one of the indicators for I'm a believer is one, you do have a desire to want to be more like Jesus, and two, you hate your sin. You hate your sin. Yeah, sin is still there. Maybe your flesh loves your sin, but your heart hates your sin. This is what we're going to be talking about today really is all about the sanctification process of our lives. And sanctification basically means growing in holiness, right? Like once you become a believer, the rest of our lives we are being sanctified to look more and more like Jesus. I want to show you a chart. Um, This was created by Jacob Scripture, our discipleship pastor. This is kind of a discipleship um, philosophy for the people in our church. And you can see on the left side, we have death, fracture. This is where we all start, right? And we give our life to Jesus, and that part, we don't do anything. Like, we just accept that, and then we're in those beginning stages of our sanctification where we're trying to just figure everything out. We're learning where everything is new, Um, and then you can see there's that fence. Now, we started with that illustration, right? You've been given 100 acres, and we're inside this 100-foot area, but there's a fence, and and listen, are we safe in that area? Are we saved? Yeah, absolutely. But does God have something better if we can break through it? Yeah, absolutely. And here's what the fences are. They're are inward barriers to spiritual growth and forward movement. Here's some examples. Unforgiveness towards somebody might be a fence in your life. Um, past pain or trauma uh, that you haven't been able to work through. That, that could be a fence or sin. The sin in our life can be a fence that keeps us from moving on to the next stage. Now, the next stage is the growing stage, and honestly, the growing stage happens really in every single stage, right? So this is kind of linear, but you can, you can imagine it is not just you grow during the producing stage, during the multiplying stage. And this is where we're being sanctified. We're growing to be more like Jesus, and there's going to be more fences, right? The fences are never going to go away. There's always going to be fences, but then there's going to be a producing stage, right? Where you're going to start to see the fruit in your life, right? The fruit of the spirit. Things are going to be, um, uh, you're going to start to see these manifested in your life. Then there's going to be a multiplying stage. You can see there's a wall too, that is just to indicate that sometimes there's something harder than a fence to get through. <laughs> um, then there's a multiplying stage, right, where we are sharing the love of Christ with everybody around us through the way we serve, through the way we love, by telling people about Jesus, and, and you're literally multiplying yourself, and more people are coming to know Jesus because of your life. Now, this is linear. Now, can you go back and forth through this? Absolutely. Can you move to the multiplying stage and then backtrack back to the growing stage yeah absolutely this is the the sanctification process for our lives doesn't look like this where the line just goes like this it looks a lot more like this right two steps forward one step back it's still a step forward and we want to celebrate that but that's what um we're going to be talking about today what does this mean to be alive to god to be sanctified we're going to spend the rest of our life trying to break down fences trying to 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 multiply to produce to be more like jesus all right verse 15 what then shall, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace by no means paul brings this up again he's clearly concerned that people are going to take advantage of grace Um, which I, I do think we do quite often. Verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey From your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So here's the deal when it comes to sin, we have to take sin seriously. We have to take sin seriously, not just because it's bad, but because God has something better for us on the other side of that fence. God has this purpose for every single one of us, this, this life to the full for every single one of us. Not that we're ever going to be sinless, but that we're walking in the sanctification to be more and more like Jesus. And, and here's, here's the deal. Here's your next point. You have to decide to be a slave to righteousness every day. This isn't a one-time thing like, okay, I'm going to decide to do it. No, we make these decisions every day. We, we have to decide to die to sin every single day. And we decide to be a slave to righteousness every day. And I know in this room, there's many people carrying the weight of habitual sin. And you hate it. You don't, you don't want it there, but it's there and it keeps winning. And here's what I would tell you. I'd tell you two things. One, keep fighting. It's worth it. Not just because sin is bad, but because you, we can trust that God is leading us into something better. And number two, his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. But we do want to take sin seriously. And we do want to kill it in our lives, right? Like Paul says, put it to death. And we want to be able to do that. So here's some practical steps that I just wanted to bring you this morning that that I hope um, will help. John um, Calvin said this. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So here's some steps. Number one, pray. I know that's cliche. (laughs) The pastor said we should pray. No one's ever said that before. Here's here's why this is so important. Generally, what we try and do with our sin is we want to hide it, we want to keep it in, and we want to do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. We will fail every single time. We can't do it in our own power. We can't do it in our own strength. We have to give it to God. So pray. There is so much power in prayer. Number two, bring it to the light. Sin is like mold. It grows in the darkness. We need to get some sunshine on that. We need to give our sin a tan. Psalm 32, three through five says this. When I kept silent, this is David talking, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He's saying, man, when I was keeping silent about my sin, when I was holding it inside, my bones were wasting away. It was was just a weight on me. My strength was sapped. This is what sin does to us. Number three, Find accountability. Find accountability. Look at James 5.16. It says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It literally says, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that we may be healed. God's promising that there is healing. (laughs) There is healing, but we've got to bring it to the light, and we've got to find accountability. Now, on the flip side of that, this is important. For every single one of us, if someone brings sin to you, we have to be a safe place, or no one's going to ever confess their sin. We have to be a safe place that has love and grace for every single person, because if it's not a safe place, then people are just going to hold it on the inside and struggle in the silence. Number four, remove the temptation. Remove the temptation. Remember Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Uh, Don't really do that. But the point he's making is remove the temptation, right? And so when I was in college, um, there was one, I was coming home from college to my parents' house, Um, this one, I don't know, one day or whatever, my family was all home. And so I pull up in front of the house and I'm walking to go inside the house and, and like the main door was open, but like the glass door was closed. And so they're all in there on the couch and I can see them, they can see me. I'm like, hey, and they're like, Brandon's home from college. Hey, you're waving. And then I open the door and something starts to like wriggle on my feet. I can see it in my peripheral vision. I look down. There's a water moccasin on my feet, and I immediately just like j- screamed and jumped and ran back. Fortunately, it did not bite me. I'm sure my family was like, what is wrong with that guy? It's like a guy stuck in a spider web. Like no one knows what's going on. He just looks crazy, right? And, and I jumped back, and we, the water moccasin goes and slithers off in the bushes. Well, here's what me and my brothers did. We went and got some shovels, and we killed it. You know Why? Because if you let a snake hang around your house, you're more likely to get bit. If you let a snake hang around your house, you're more likely to get bit. What snakes are in your house that you need to get rid of? What snakes are you letting in your circle that you need to, let, that you need to get rid of? What are you allowing in your life, in your mind, through your ears, that you need to remove? Number five, memorize scripture. Memorize scripture, we're doing this Roman scripture memory challenge. I hope you guys are doing it because, man, these are like incredible verses that we are memorizing. But David uh, said this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, that's God's word. That's him saying this is how I'm going to do it. For me, I'm going to fight sin by having God's word in my heart. So when temptation comes up, so does that scripture. <laughs> so does the word of God because there's power in that. Number six, spend time with Jesus. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then last one, number seven, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself because his grace is sufficient for you. I don't know if you're like this. If someone comes to me and confesses a sin or tells, or tells me what they're struggling with, man, I've got all the love and grace and I'm reminding them of the gospel and preaching the gospel to them. But man, if it's my own sin, I'm like, What's wrong with you? You should be further along than this by now. You're a pastor. Right? We have to get good at preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves that His grace is sufficient. Listen, putting sin to death is hard, sanctification is hard, breaking down those fences is hard. Salvation's easy, right? Jesus did all the work for salvation. And we just accept it, but sanctification is hard, and it can be painful at times. I don't know if maybe you've seen this. I've seen these circulating on social media. Um, there's, there's this quote that's like, choose your heart, you know? And so, like, some of the ones that will say is like, hey, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. Staying in shape is hard. Being out of shape is hard. Choose your heart. Being financially disciplined is hard, and so is being in debt. Choose your your heart. Well, Paul here is saying the same thing. He's saying, hey, being a slave to righteousness is hard, but so is being a slave to sin. Choose your heart. And so that's your next point. Killing sin is hard, but so is living in it. Choose your heart. And here's the deal about sin. You cannot kill sin in your life without replacing it with something better. You cannot kill sin in your life without replacing it with something better. And that's why some of those steps are so important. Because when we just try and white-knuckle the sin in our lives and say, I'm going to, through my self-discipline, pull myself up by my bootstraps and do this, we're going to fail every single time if we're not replacing it with Jesus. Because the something better is Jesus every single time. So we've got to replace it with something better. Right? Because God's not just saying no, right? He's not trying to rob us of of something good. He's trying to lead us into freedom. He's saying, hey, if you will just break this fence down, I've got something better for you on the other side. He's leading us into freedom. It's kind of like when you think about Adam and Eve. God wasn't trying to rob them of joy by saying, don't eat from that tree. No, he was protecting them. He was leading them into something Better, but then what does Satan do? He comes and say, ah, "But did God really say that? Uh, maybe God just wants you to be, you know, He doesn't want you to be just like Him, to know all the things that He knows." I think of my boys. Um, I got two boys, Beckett and Brady. They're seven and four. They would they would eat candy for every single meal if I let them, right? And so when I tell them, "No, you cannot have candy." for breakfast, I'm not, I'm not trying to rob them of happiness by saying no, I'm leading them into a better life, right? Of, of being healthy, of feeling good, of having teeth. And my boys are like, they're like, dad, how do you know? And I'm like, because you're four, I'm 36. Like, just trust me. And it's, it's in those moments, I remember this must be how God feels when I try and do things my own way. He's like, bud. You're 36. That's adorable. (laughs) I'm I'm everlasting. I created all this. I created you. I think I know how this works better. When God is leading us away from sin, he's leading us into freedom. When God is leading us away from sin, he is leading us in to freedom not that everything is going to be great in your life right you break down all the fences your life is not good it does, doesn't mean your life is perfect by the way we might think of it right like you might think of uh, Paul in the Bible who wrote Romans right like his life was actually by culture standard pretty awesome before he met Jesus he had money he had power um, people respected him um, all the like main popular people of the day would respect him. He like had places to stay like he he had everything you might want for that time and then he meets Jesus and what happens? Oh man he gives all of that away to follow Jesus. He know he now has people trying to kill him. He, he now has um, no places to stay at night sometimes. He now has times where he doesn't have anything. or like he's, He goes through so many trials, so many hardships, but what he did have is purpose. What he did have was he's walking in the plan that God had for him, which is so much bigger and better than anything that we can dream up of ourselves, right? So we might be in this 100-foot fence going, oh, yeah, 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 I'm gonna break it down because the other side's gonna look like this. We don't know what the other side's gonna look like, but it's better. And that's where we have to trust God in all of these things. Okay, so what does this look like for us to live alive in Christ? Because that's the other side of this, right? Like, die to your sin and be alive in Christ. Well, here's just a few things. Number one, spend time with Jesus. This was also in the putting sin to death part. Spend time with Jesus. Number two, trust God in all things. Right, even when it doesn't make sense, even when I wouldn't do it this way, we trust God because he's everlasting and I'm 36. Number three, practice obedience. Practice, that that goes right with the trust. If we can trust God in all things, then it's a little bit easier to be obedient in the things that he is asking of. Number four, actively participate in community with other believers. We can't do this alone. That's why these mornings are so powerful. That's why it's so important to have community and community groups and these different things that we do. And number five, share the love of Christ with others through service and sharing the gospel. Right? This is that multiplying, producing stage of that sharing that love of Christ. Listen, it is important that we take sin seriously. It's also really important that we follow what God has called us to In fact, I think it's more important that we love people well than that we stop cussing, right? Let's love people well. And here's the deal, if we're doing these things, the rest is gonna fall into place. Because the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more um, you're gonna start to look like him, the more you're gonna hate your sin, the more you're gonna want more of this life and freedom that God has to offer, and the more we're gonna line up with the purpose that he has for us. Not that God is sanctifying all of us to look like a cookie cutter Christian, right? That's not what's happening. Like, hey, here's what a Christian looks like, and God is sanctifying all of us to look this way where we all say all shucks and good golly this Miss Molly or like whatever. Like, that's not what this is. Like, we're all uniquely wired. We are all have a unique purpose. We're all still going to look very different, but in the way that God created us. So if you're quirky, you're still going to be quirky, but like in the best way, the way that God designed you to be. All right, verse 19. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you were now ashamed of. What Paul's saying here is when has pride ever helped you? When has lying ever helped you? When has lust ever helped you? When has gossip ever helped you? When has drunkenness ever helped you? When has sin ever helped you? And he's going to go on to say this, those things result in death, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life so yeah when has sin ever helped you well what when when has the opposite like what benefit is there to being a slave to god holiness freedom life satisfaction purpose like there's so much there i'm wearing my you know i have decided um shirt today because this is something we have to decide every day right like i today i'm going to decide to follow jesus Right? It's not a one-time decision. I'm deciding every day. Today, I'm going to decide to be a slave to God. Today, I'm deciding to say no to sin. Today, I'm deciding to walk in the Spirit. Today, I'm deciding to be obedient. Today, I'm deciding to be alive in Christ. Today, I am deciding to live in Christ freedom. Will I be perfect? Absolutely not. Will I take two steps forward and one step back? Absolutely yes, but I'll press on towards the goal because I have decided to be a follower of Christ. Verse 23, this is how chapter 6 ends. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you were here a few weeks ago, I got to share the Romans road, and this was Part of it. I think it's like the second and uh fourth step. And the wages of sin, what it means is that what we deserve for our sin is death, eternal separation from God. But then there's that beautiful conjunction. But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's important to understand eternal life doesn't start when you die, it starts when you die to your sin. Meaning when you became a believer for the first time, you entered into eternal life. You were in that now. Tim Keller, hero in the faith, pastor, theologian, writer, um, died last week of cancer. And one of his quotes uh, that I saw was this. He said, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the gift of God. That's eternal life that starts with salvation, that we are more sinful, yet we are more loved and accepted than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, God. God, thank you that through your word, through other people, through the this, this sanctification process, you are leading us into something better. You are leading us into something good, that you have a plan and a purpose for every single person's life in this room. You have good works for us that you planned before we were ever born. God, I pray right now for every single person in this room. God, if there is sin that is holding us back, if there is a fence that we haven't been able to get past, God, I pray that we would take that seriously. And I pray, God, that you would give us the strength and the ability through the way only you can to break down some of those fences, to break down those walls, God, so that we can move forward into more freedom, into more life that you have for us, God. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.